Welcome to the Spirit Lake Wellness Podcast hosted by Dr. John Ewing, addiction medicine physician. Today, Dr. Ewing is joined by Kathy Kocher, a licensed marriage and family therapist, Dr. Dave Nelson, a licensed professional counselor and hypnotherapist and naturopath, Dr. Tom Hayes, a licensed clinical psychologist. Today, we start a three-part series on end-of-life care. In this episode, we will look at issues of pain management. First of all, it's great to be here with everybody. I, I love this brain trust of people. Um, earlier this year, it was with um, stage four kidney cancer. Uh, it's a type of cancer normally found in transitional cells in the bladder, but in my case, it had migrated up and attached to the kidney, so it was very hard to diagnose, which was why it wasn't found earlier. Ironically, even with a positive biopsy for the cancer, one of the diagnostic tests still came back as no cancer, everything's good. So um, I give a lot of kudos to the medical profession for finding it. Uh, it's quite a bit of discomfort, pain, a lot of interesting things happening to my body. And I wanted to bring that to this group about how do we manage pain in people that have a terminal diagnosis? What do we shift our viewpoint on the importance of avoiding addiction? Um, I don't think I have any issues with being addicted to oxycodone at this point, but I am completely addicted to being pain-free. I will do a lot to attain that state. I've tried some things with various success and failure, and I just kind of want to open it up for discussion. What, what do you guys do? Oh, and <laughs> apparently when you take oxycodone, you can develop a hive itchy rash thing. So now I have to take Benadryl too. I'm mm -hmm. kind of beyond excited about that. So kind of wondering, because we've got, you know, we've got medicine, we've got research, we've got psychology, we've got a really good brain trust here. I'm just kind of wondering what your thoughts are. And I am bringing it to a very personal level. I'm willing to be extremely vulnerable and extremely honest if you have any questions. Okay, so let's, let's tackle some definitions. First, we can uh, look at these medications uh, as if they were electricity. Uh, we've got use misuse, and then substance use disorder, or what many people would call addiction. Mm -hmm. So the use of medication, and this comes up, for example, with cannabis, which may have a utility in pain management, but that's unclear as of yet. Um, so the use of a medication is to improve function, to decrease d disease burden. And so in as much as Many of our pain medications can improve comfort. Uh, this is the use of a medication. And this is quite distinct from the abuse of a medication, which is using the medication for a euphoric effect or for degree of disinhibition. So this, is, this would be considered to be the abuse of a medication. One area that is a little less clear that, that maybe Tom or Dave could address is when we're using medications to modulate our mood, for example, to decrease irritability and anxiety. And many times what happens is that when people become dependent on a medication, and again, that's distinct from use, abuse, and addiction, dependence, there can be fluctuations of mood when the level of the medication uh, fluctuates. So abuse is using it to get high, and then substance use disorder or addiction is the out of control use. And we 
we usually use the DSM-5 criteria for that. And so in the case of palliative care and taking care of post-operative pain or somebody that has sustained an injury, opiates do have a function and they have a use. Uh, is that helpful? It, it eases my mind, thank you, because I was worried that I would develop dependency, but I, I track it. You know, I, I write down when I take a medication at the time, what I took and when I can take it again, because I'm aware that sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and it hurts. And I, I come out and I'm ready to take a Tylenol and an Oxy and do my homemade Percocet and feel better. And I look and it's like, nope, you gotta wait an hour. <laughs> Yeah. And and so, you know, I take a hot shower or I use a heating pad or something to get to get so to that. You get on a couple of uh, really important factors there. One is personal accountability and following as prescribed. You know, oftentimes I think people confuse tolerance with, with addiction. Yeah. And but by defining it in terms of what uh, what effect it has on function, in your case, having a terminal diagnosis. Part of that function is going to be on, on what effect it has on the trajectory of your life. And it's a little bit counter, counterintuitive to just a linear, either you're addicted or you're not. This is looking at the quality of your life going forward. And if you, if, if you define it in terms of being able to function, and in your example, being able to sleep, because sleep is such an important determinant of mood that you're holding yourself accountable, you're following uh, exactly as prescribed, and you have a unique, pardon me, but you have a unique relationship with oxycodone than, than, than I would have right now, for instance, because I don't have pain, certainly not chronic pain. So, yeah, there are some uh, tips and tricks to using opiate medications for pain control. One idea that I find useful is the concept of the analgesic zone. And this is that if the dose of medication or the effect of the medication is below the analgesic zone, it doesn't really touch the pain. It just causes side effects. Mm -hmm. And once you get into the analgesic zone, you start to have some pain relief. If you increase the dose slightly, you get more pain relief. And then there's a flattening out of, of increased pain relief with increased dose. Mm -hmm. And so uh, dosing above the analgesic zone provides no additional relief. But what can happen over time, if you dose towards the upper end or above the analgesic zone, the analgesic zone will migrate upward to where then what used to work will not work as well. So getting patients to avoid trying to get that complete pain relief and settling for pain reduction yeah. is often useful. And we do actually know some of the mechanisms for how this works. I think that's the, the tricky part for, for me. I've, I've found that analgesic zone and it's, it's a nice place. I can function, I can get in my car and drive five minutes to the grocery store with great caution and care. Um, I can do the tasks I need to do around the house. But I can, you know, go down in the basement and do laundry using the handrail. I mean, I'm very cautious. And then I get a rash and it itches and I have to take the Benadryl yeah. and then it doesn't work. So then I take a day without any opiates, just using the Tylenol. 
I'm out of the analgesic zone and, and life is less fun. So this is my first day back on, on an opiate. And I appreciate how you define that because I'm not there. Right. This is still pretty grippy and sharp. Yeah. So one of the ways in which the opiates can cause itching is because they act as a vasodilator. Um, so opiates imitate endorphins and dampen the effects of adrenaline. So this can cause the blood vessels in, and the capillaries to dilate. And then, of course, fluid leaks out of the capillaries into the tissues and can create actually redness and itching. Um, and so very often, uh, Benadryl can work, Sertirazine can work, or Zyrtec. And then to supplement that effect, if you need to, you can use something like Pepsid, which is an H2 blocker. So you can use the H1 blocker, such as Benadryl. Then you can add an H2 blocker, which normally these are used for, for your stomach. But that can provide a, a synergistic effect to, to provide a little bit more coverage. Okay, so what you're describing, um, Dr. John, is not an allergic reaction. No, it's not. No, it's, it's, a, it's a normal side effect. And okay. That is easing one, my mind, thank yeah. you, because one yeah. of my fears was that I would be allergic to opiates, and it's like, well, that's going to make my end-of-life process a little unpleasant. Yes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, no, that's not the case. And also, you can be assured that with repetition, this will tend to decrease over time. And, and um, basically, yeah, the opiates can by virtue of imitating our endorphins, dampen the effects of adrenaline. So then the body compensates by making more adrenaline. And that may be one of the things that reduces then the itching and redness uh, that many people experience as a side effect. Okay. But that one of the uh, classes that I took on uh, chronic pain management, um, they defined and, and it sounds like the itch that you're defining, they, they define the itch as kind of an internal aspect of pain. So that uh, over time, as pain becomes more and more of an internal irritant, then you have the external irritant as well. But I, I think it's really important to think of it as, a, as a, in that continuum of the misery and looking for the misery reduction. God, Dave, you've been quiet. You're, this is like this oh, is well, like your wheelhouse. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just waiting for my opportunity. But yeah, one okay. of the things I, I did want to talk about was um, where it's taking a look at the word pain management itself. And many times we're looking at one pain control to you know we want total relief. We don't want to feel the pain. Versus how do we really? manage that which we can't control. Because we don't really manage the pain, we manage our response to the pain. And so how are we responding, not only with medicine, but with our mind, with our behavior, uh, with our breath work, all these kinds of things um, are, uh, helps us feel uh, a greater sense of control. So I think one of the biggest things people have are chronic pain, they have that lack of, I'm in control here. I'm at the mercy of my pain, I'm at the mercy of these medications. And so how do, we, how do we befriend pain and use pain, transmute it into having a better quality of life? 
Um, years ago, I had uh, a woman, okay, it wasn't a cancerous situation, but she had real severe endometriosis. The pain is really bad. She was on opioids. And uh, so we started calling her, um, we, I had her name her Pain, and she called him Bob. And so she learned to relate to uh, Bob in a different way, to relate to it, to manage Bob better. And so just having a different relationship with pain, knowing that it's, you're not going to, can't get rid of it. It's not going anywhere. How do we use it? And so those are some of the things that maybe we can talk down the road too. Right? We, 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 you know, you want to do everything you can medically to relieve the pain itself. Because I, I know, you know, I've been in a lot of pain. I have my own issues as I've grown older too. They're not going away, <laughs> you know. But how do I use it for my betterment? How do I increase the quality of my life, not only physically but mentally and spiritually? How are you going to respond to this? Because pain in itself can be a wonderful teacher if we decide to use it that way. I have, I have a, I've developed a kind of unique perspective about pain, uh, and I only think it's unique because people react to it like, "What? Are you crazy?" Um, I think pain is how my body tells me to stop doing something. Pain, okay. pain is a message. It's, it's yeah. definitely a, hey, that hurt. Mm -hmm. Stop. Um, I also come from a family that has a long history of very high pain tolerance. This has not always worked in our favor. You know, my dad got diagnosed with cancer, stage four prostate, because he thought he had a bladder infection. In the new bone regrowth, he thought it had been a pulled muscle. So we, we very much understate our level of discomfort and our pain. Some of that's learned, some of it's probably genetic. But I don't do pain meds. I don't do Novocaine, I don't do lidocaine. I don't, I've never, I just don't. So I've had three crowns put on in the dentist's office without any pain medicine and I'm fine. Mm -hmm. I do kind of a version of self-hypnosis. I, I, I surf the wave, I pay attention yep. to it, I attenuate. Is it this kind of pain or that kind of pain? But it's time limited. I know I'm going to be there for an hour right. and 90 minutes, and then I'm right. going to be 20 minutes of that is going to be painful. Right. I can get through that. Mm -hmm. This is different. This doesn't have an end. Right. I, I can't say, oh, I'm going to be fine on Tuesday at 4. Mm -hmm. And I and I, those techniques that I've used all my life mm -hmm. to manage these situational pains, right. um, so you're, you're trying to, you're still trying to manage to have, which, which is normal to have pain relief, you know, which is normal, you know, and because, uh, you know, it's good, it is time limited. Yeah, but what about how do we really take that and just be, really be, as I say, in this now? Yeah. You know, how do you just, without looking to that future, this is going to get better, but this is where I'm at, and this is, this is wonderful, you know, that kind of a situation. And that's hard. It's a hard concept people will think you know i'm crazy talking about that kind of stuff too and we have to you know really begin to take a look at how we define pain management uh, many of us take a look at uh, the pain control the more of the medical point of view of just getting total relief which is what we love because no one likes to have pain but in those cases where pain is inevitable uh, always our suffering is optional so we have to really take a look at how are we going to manage our response. You know, getting back to some of these, uh, how do we reframe this experience, and how do we embrace the pain, embrace the discomfort. In fact, one of the things I, I always would teach people: stop using the word pain, and begin to use the word discomfort, and it's just still sending comfort to our brain in some way when we use discomfort. And how do we work with getting a little bit more comfort? 
and reframing um, our discomfort as a friend and moving forward, taking, taking our friend with us and taking control back. Because we can't really control pain, but we can manage our response to the pain. And that is by through cognitive reframing, uh, talking to it differently. Again, I had a, a client of mine uh, years ago, again, uh, with endometriosis, real bad pain. She was on opioids. She didn't like to use them. And so she reframed uh, her discomfort. She called him Bob. And so she would relate to Bob differently. She would go, hi, Bob, come with me. I got things to do. And so she would focus on what she's actually controlling in this moment, really t really getting into this here and now, this, the mindfulness aspects of what we're doing. And to get control of what am I doing? Am I washing a plate? Am I driving my car? Am I changing a diaper? What am I in control of at this moment to get that sense of I am in control? Rather than trying to push pain away, which actually increases your pain, increases your suffering. Um, there's a mathematical formula. If you guys never thought you'd use algebra again, I'm going to give you one. I learned this from a Buddhist mathematician, a friend of mine. It's called pain times resistance equals suffering. He proved to us mathematically how pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. If we take pain, P times R equals S. If we take our pain uh, uh, and make it a 5, let's say we got moderate, you know, 0 to 10 on the pain scale. So you got five, moderate pain. We tend to resist the pain at the same level of pain. So let's say we resisted five. So P times R, five times five equals 25. Our suffering is off the scale. But if we don't resist the discomfort, we don't resist the pain, we learn to embrace it, we can make it zero. We got five times zero equals zero. So you can have pain, but you don't have to suffer. They're two separate issues. And so that's what we're trying to take a look at is suffering management, mostly. And the more you learn to embrace your Bob in life, or whatever you want to you know, use this, you can actually decrease your suffering and increase your sense of control by being really in this moment, managing your, your life moment by moment. Um, that's pretty much what I would offer to people who really, 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 really struggling. And some of the work that I did was doing, too, with... Um, People, with some of the groups I was running, uh, we had our pain uh, pain profiles, the actual pain itself, and then it's quality of life measures. And what, what I discovered over like six to eight weeks, people's um, pain levels stayed the same. But their quality of life measures improved, their sleep improved, their mobility improved, their relationships improved, because they were slowing down and managing their suffering, managing their resistance to the pain better. I really liked what you were saying about reconceptualizing the function of the pain. And as you were saying that, and I was listening attentively, but another part of my brain was going, yeah, what have I connected to the pain? And I've connected a lot of fear mm -hmm. and anxiety mm -hmm. and forward thinking. Yep. Um, every ache and pain is a new cancer breakthrough. Um, yep. You know, I've made it much more than it is. Yes. Yeah. We, we awfulize it. We, we tend to, you know, that's normal. We tend, we tend to do yeah. that. And as you begin to just talk to it as, a, as an entity and bring it along with you while you focus on what you control, it makes a big difference. And the, the, like the big, oh, go ahead. No, I like that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I had one cognitive reframe I would teach people, and that was, hi there, 
whatever you want to call it, hi there suffering, hi there pain, hi there Bob, come watch me. So I'm inviting you to come watch me do what I'm in control of right now. And you do this consistently throughout the day, especially when you begin to awfulize. So hi there awfulizing. Come with me while I come back and write this report. Yeah. You know, those kinds of simple things, it, they etch away at the, the resistance, yeah. which is all that you can manage. You're the one who's in control of the resistance. You don't manage the pain, but you manage your resistance. And then that will manage, impact your suffering. And hopefully improve the quality of your life. That's, that's, how, that's how I've seen it work in my life and work with other people's lives. I, I like that a lot. It's really resonating. Um, and the, the awarenesses and the insights are popping back. I mean, when I first got this diagnosis, boom, major depression, didn't get off the couch, slept all the time, feeling very, very sorry for myself. My life was over, blah, blah, blah. My future was bleak and pain-filled and lonely. And blah, yeah. It was just me and the cat, you know, and that's just pathetic and sad. And I've come through that. Mm-hmm finally, where I'm not feeling sorry for myself anymore. Um, still have moments of sadness. Right. Um, but that's, I think, normal grieving mm-hmm. um, for things that you think will happen, but now you know probably aren't going to. Um, right. And you're aware of it. That's the key. Is you're aware of these are here. That's now you begin to talk to it. Yeah. And- I've also had a lot of training. I mean, I, I, I've fallen back a lot on the... Um, the DBT training I've had okay. around radical yeah. acceptance yes. and just accepting, accepting it for what it is mm-hmm. and figuring out how to, how to move forward. And mm-hmm. I have a coworker who keeps saying it's a dialectic and I want to just hit her with the dialectic, <laughs> but, yeah. but it's a really good point is that, yes, I am in pain and I'm having a good day and that both can be true. Mm-hmm. Both can be true. Correct. Yeah. So this is piggybacking on, on some some things that I hadn't put together before. So it's really helpful. Thank you, David. I like what you said about pain being a signal about uh, impending or threatened tissue damage, mm-hmm. and a signal that oh, stop that or do something different. Yeah. Well, then we can attach to that all of these things that the pain might signal. As you said, oh, this is another cancer popping up when, when really it's just a normal ache and pain or something. And um, our mind can uh, run away with that. It's, it's a great catastrophization machine. Yes. And so oftentimes I will counter-catastrophize uh, and exaggerate to sort of um, kind of make fun of the process, but then it, it helps me to uh, realize, oh, I do have some control over over the the way that I view this, and then hopefully I can I can uh, uh, then once I've exceeded what the significance is, then I can scale back the significance and put it in the context of okay, well, over the next few minutes I would like to do this or I would like to do that, and okay, does this signal? Uh, uh, like, uh, am, is it a broken bone that I'm going to get out of place if I get up out of my chair? Um, one of my favorite examples was this, this guy in Kentucky who was frozen in his chair and he was all stiff. He was frozen up. And, um, 
so I, I talked to him about various things. And finally, I asked him, well, um, well, why don't you move, you know, because he was all stiff and wouldn't change positions. Even when he stood up, he would stay in the same kind of hunched over couch potato position. And so what, what would happen is that he would hear these cracking noises, and he thought that was his bones breaking. Oh. And so as a result, he ended up with genuine pain being stuck in that position for oh. years. Oh, the poor guy. I know. And but, our, yeah, go ahead. But what that tells me is, again, how important our brain is, what we tell ourselves, mm -hmm. and yes. how it impacts us so strongly, which really highlights a lot of what David was saying mm -hmm. about, you know, the messaging we're giving ourselves. If it's, this is pain, it's cancer, it's horrible, you're going to die, you know, nobody loves you, all these things, those are my personal horrible thoughts, and, and then it's going to hurt more yeah. versus, yeah, it hurts. There's something wrong in your body. It's not fixable right now, but it is treatable, and you have medications you can use, and let's figure out what we can still do. One of the things I, I you, oh, go ahead. Oh, just you normalize those feelings, you know, I, yeah. I've got this catastrophic diagnosis, that's sad, that's a normal feeling, mm -hmm. yet at the end of sadness, we know is acceptance. Yeah. And you talked about radical acceptance, so a lot of the practice for other things in life, you find ways of, uh, of applying that. And then the fear, I have this new ache, this new pain. <laughs> Um, does that mean there's something else wrong or things have gotten, again, it's very normal because it may signify danger. But as you look at that uh, and recognize this isn't danger, oh, yeah, I always ache this way when I get up, you know, in the morning mm -hmm. or, you know, eat too much hot sauce. Aha, this is not uh, this is not cancer. Um, but but you normalize those feelings, but you go through that emotional process that says, I'm going to accept this. I'm going to give it the proper level uh, that it should have in my life, the proper significance. So you don't discount it. You're like, well, I will pretend I don't have pain. Well, no, it will remind you it is there. And the hurt, like you said, sometimes I have to look at that hurt and say, okay, am I overdoing it? Yep. Yeah. Or maybe it's time for me to lay down, or maybe it's time for a heating pad, or, you know. But as you ask those questions that can be answered, you decrease the muscle tension that goes along with the asking yourself the questions that can't be answered. That's a really good point, Tom. Yeah, very good. And also celebrating, one of the things we are, we are focusing on is pain and discomfort, but then we have to take a look at, we don't have to, but you know, it's an option, is take a look at when you're comfortable, when you're feeling good, and how are you celebrating that? How are you celebrating, I'm feeling pretty good right now, even if it's just for three seconds, you know, and how did I do that? How did this arrive? What's going on? And really begin to take a look at using your brain to focus on how comfortable I am and saying, oh, thank you. That is such a good point, because when I am not in pain, I'm thinking, well, this is just a normal state of being. Yeah. It's nothing to celebrate. It's nothing unusual. This is where I should be all the time. Celebrated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I just one of those things, I, you know me, I'm a I'm a pain nut because I've been a martial artist. I took up kickboxing again a little while ago, and I'm hanging out with guys half my age, getting the sh kicked out of me, you know. 
And I'll be honest with you, the actual training is not hard for me. It's the two-day recovery afterwards of having to deal with, am I going to have a muscle cramp tonight that's going to wake me up, that's going to, I'm going to think I'm going to die and take me to the hospital? Yeah. You know, uh, those kind of things, those after effects is what I'm dealing with. And so I had to learn to really take a look at celebrating. I really slept damn good last night. <laughs> you know, I woke up feeling really good. And, you know, because before, long, I told you, you know, these kinds of things, learning to celebrate the positives, the joy of training, the, the pain of training, what we're doing is always better than the pain of, the, of not training. And taking a look at retraining our cognition, our, our response to everything, that painfulness is going to be much better than just sitting around bemoaning. You know, that's how I look at it from my point of view. But celebrating the how great you feel as we our bodies get more tenured, you know, it's that's important. At least it has been for me. I can only speak from my own experience. Thank you for listening to the Spirit Like Wellness podcast. Spirit Like Wellness is a 501c3 dedicated to health and wellness education. Learn more at spiritlikewellness.org.